All right. Hey, just uh, one quick thing. So about eight years ago, Vintage uh, was birthed up here in this area. About the same time, another church planted called Church in the Hills. And uh, good friends of ours, Bubba and Ashley Rainwater, were leading that. And uh, I don't know how long, a couple of months ago, three months ago, Bubba was in the process of looking at things and calling in life. And, and they felt, long story short, called to move to Texas to take over a, a pastor of a church there. And so Bubba's there now, but his wife, Ashley, Caden and Court, and then Holland's over here somewhere, They've been coming to Vintage during that time that he's been away. And so they're leaving not this Monday, but next. They may be here next Sunday, maybe packing lots of boxes and stuff. But we wanted to take a time this morning and pray for them. Uh, We consider them family, uh, whether they recognize that or not and feel that from us. We feel that for them, right? And we feel it from them to us. But but we want to just pray for them this morning. Uh, we believe in the ministry that they're doing. We believe in their ministry as a family. And uh, so if you don't mind just standing, sorry to embarrass yourself. You'll get to stand. If you're around them, don't awkwardly place hands on them. Kind of put it on their shoulders, right? If you're just around them, if you don't mind just kind of laying hands on them. Holly, go ahead and stand up, please. Yes, Rainwater, thank you. Stand up. They're like, oh, I don't want to stand up right now. you got to do it anyway. All right. So if you would, if you're comfortable, just kind of put your hands like this because they're kind of both sides over here, right? And, uh, yeah, thank you. Let's get around them, please. Make sure that everyone's shoulder is being touched. And uh, let's pray. So, Father, we thank you for the Rainwater family. God, we thank you, uh, Lord, in, in, in the ways that we know they've influenced our community. The community is better today because of their presence in it. Over the last ever how many years they've been here, before they planted, and then while they were in the in the process of, of pastoring a church in the hills. And we thank you for their influence. We thank you, Father God, for the way that you moved in them. And we pray for this next season, Father God, that you kind of a closing a chapter and opening up into a new one. We pray for this next chapter. We pray for this next season. God, I pray for their family first. That God, it would be an amazing time for their family. That, Lord, they would draw together in unity, that they would enjoy one another. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move in power in it. I pray, Father God, that you would then bless the ministry that you have for them in this church or in the schools that the kids are going to. I pray, Father, that you would increase their influence, Jesus, that God, that the next step that you have for them would exceed the step that they just took. And we pray, Father God, blessing upon them in every area of their life. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right. Let me go ahead and invite uh, Graham uh, Kosick to come up here. Let's take that take that microphone. Uh, so we, on this past Tuesday night, we had our night of prayer and worship. And I know uh, some of you were here. Graham was here along with uh, some of the guys in his discipleship group. And, and he came up to me afterwards and said, man, see this. And I said, how, how was, how was prayer for you? And how was your day? He goes, it's been great the last hour. <laughs> right. And uh, just in the context of coming, and I thought it was funny, but he said, man, God just God did this work in me when I was here, and, and I want, to, want you to hear that word this morning, because I felt like when he shared it, I, I didn't even tell him this, but it was a word that continually resonated in me literally the entire week. I thought about it when I woke up, thought about it when I went to bed and throughout the day, and so even this morning, I'm going to kind of, God kind of used it to birth the message this morning in all honesty. But with that said, I want you just to hear what God did and Graham, and uh, so if you would, just give him undivided attention and... Appreciate it. Um, yeah, it was actually my first uh, night at uh, prayer worship, so it was really neat. Our uh, our discipleship group came, so um, definitely uh, it's one of those things. I'm one of those people that you know I take a little time, like when I sit down, try to spend some quiet time with God or something. It takes me a while. 
to kind of get the clutter and the stress of the day and those kind of thoughts like cleared out of the way. So um, just having that kind of format for an hour to just do that uh, was really cool. So um, recommend it for you guys. Um, but what I share with Steve afterwards is, and I'll kind of try to keep it brief, but to give you the path that God took me on uh, and just unpack some things and showing me some things. Uh, it's really kind of a loose format, but Steve, I think, you know, comes up and he'll kind of give some guided questions to kind of ask God. And one of the things that he said is, you know, uh, during the worship time was, you know, God's desire for our hearts is to really fill us up completely and, you know, take this time to ask God where, you know, you're most thirsty uh, emotionally, uh, where you're most uh, hungry because your father desires, desires to fill you up with good things, like completely. And so I really just kind of asked that question, uh, you know, God, okay, where am I truly most needy? Where is my deepest need emotionally? And um, kind of surprised me, uh, the answer ended up being affirmation. And um, I guess that's universal, but I, I just I hadn't thought about that word in a while. And so I was like, okay, um, that kind of put me off guard, but I was like, okay, let's dig into that. So you know, just in the time of the worship and prayer, um, you know, he showed me a couple things specifically. He showed me one was this kind of triangle in a sense. Um, well, we're a family of five, um, my wife and three kids, but the triangle was three of us that were kind of grayed out, and it was me and my wife, Elizabeth, and then my oldest, who's nine, he's in fourth grade. And we were kind of grayed out for that reason of being in deficit for affirmation. And um, maybe just the youngest two are just so stinking cute. They get affirmation all the time. I don't know. <laughs> but that, those are the ones that God kind of put on my heart to kind of really take a look at. And so he put this lens there, and I was like, okay, um, let me, you know, I'm a first-time husband, first-time dad, figuring this out as I go. So thanks for any nuggets you can give me here. Um, but, uh, you know, just doing our best. And so I kind of dug into more of that, like, okay, God, show me more. Um, and then he, you know, he gave me another kind of even more vivid picture of, it's like my son, my oldest again, just, just kind of back to me, held on the ground in a circle with, you know, some other kids, their backs to me. But he just turned around. It's just all it was, was he just turned around and looked up at me with this big, adoring, beaming smile. And just the little background there is like, my son's in fourth grade. He's, you know, my oldest, he's getting to that point in his life where, you know, there starts to be expectation for performance, whether it's schoolwork and just other things. And I think I've seen him get a little bit kind of beaten down a little bit um, over the past year, if I was honest. And I think even from affirmation from his parents is part of that, too. So, like, I hadn't seen that face from him in a while, like that really, really, really big beaming smile. And so I was like, wow, I was like, that's awesome. Like, that's who he is, and that's who I know he can be and should be. And I was like, okay, like, what does this mean? And um, I didn't really feel like I knew what it meant right away. I was like, okay, is this just me supposed to, like, go home and hug my son? Because I had this really intense feeling, this distinct intense feeling of just wanting to just microwave all this, you know, affirmation into him in that moment. And just, like, why do you ever doubt yourself? Why do you feel like you're not enough? Just all this stuff. And um, I was like, okay, so I just sat with that. And, um, and I thought that was the take-home uh, until, like, the last song. And then it became this kind of, um, uh, God spoke again, and he brought back up that same picture because I was trying to, like, sit with it. And uh, he said, um, no, he said, that's not your son. He's like, that's you. And that intense feeling that you felt just wanting to microwave and just overflow him with the affirmation you feel for him, that's me. And it's actually just a fraction of me. <laughs> um, 
But it, this is, I'm telling you, Graham, um, I want to fill your deepest, you know, needs. You know, I want to affirm you. I want to overflow you. And I'm inviting you into that. Come spend time with me. Come, you know, let's do this. And, um, you know, in, or, and so when that happens, too, you'll be able to overflow more often into, right, your wife and your son and your family and everyone around you. So, um so, yeah, he just identified affirmation as being a piece that he wants to work on with me. Just kind of showed me the intense love he has for me personally, not just the church or vintage, or, but Graham Cossack. And it was a special time. So I appreciate you guys letting me share. Awesome. Thanks, man. So before I dive in this morning uh, into the profound word I had from the Lord, um, I want to give you an opportunity, honestly, just to hear from him. And um, the context of this word of affirmation, we're going to dive into this this morning, this context of affirmation, and look at it, yes, in the context of our primary priority relationships, specifically whether it's our, our spouse or our parents or our friends or our children, whatever it may be. Uh, but I want to just recognize again, from what we talked about several weeks ago, when we begin to talk about um, priorities, we recognize the foundational priority relationship that we have that nothing trumps is our relationship with Jesus. And, and one of the great deficits that, um, that Graham named that I think that we all wrestle with in some degree at times or, or a lot of the times is that we have a deficit of affirmation of ourselves from Jesus. Not that he's not affirming because he always is, but for some whatever reason, we're not experiencing that. We're not receiving that. We're not hearing that. And so I want to give you a moment uh, to be able to receive from the Lord this morning. So I invite you right where you are. I want you just to kind of, if you're holding hands with somebody, disconnect. This is between you and Jesus. It's okay to push your spouse aside for the second. And I want you to take a deep breath before the Lord. And as you exhale, the idea of kind of releasing all the thoughts in your brain, all the tensions of the week. The great word for us is to release all the distractions. Graham studies, it takes a while for you to settle in, to say, Jesus, I give you my distractions. And I just want you to ask the Lord in the moment, God, I say, Jesus, I... I want to hear your words of love and affirmation for me. I recognize, like, there's a qualifier. I know my sin. I know my failures. We don't have to go name those for me. Already knows them all. But to say, Jesus, I, I just need to know this morning your affection for me. So we're going to take 30 seconds of literally just being still before the Lord and allow him to begin to stir and to speak into you.
Amen. I'll be honest with you. My wife, if it was freaking, I'm like, it's longer than 30 seconds. And I'm like, I could have gone forever. <laughs> she goes, I didn't say anything to you. No, the point is this. <clears throat> this morning, I, I felt like someone, I felt like God even just said, like in your, you just felt like a sermon got preached to you in 30 to 45 seconds of being still. Some of you in the moment had a tension of, God, this is so hard. Some of you just immediately felt this tension of weight of the things you don't like about yourself. And that's one of the greatest struggles we have is that so often we confuse God's voice for our voice. So we hear these words of condemnation and we think it's God speaking to us. And it's really just our own mind telling us the things about ourselves that we don't like. Because we're really good at not liking things about ourselves. And so I want you just to recognize, you know, when you think of the words of affirmation, for me, I always sit and think about Jesus after his cousin baptized him in the Jordan River, and he comes out. And Dad just has to say, oh, this is my son. I'm so pleased with him. I'm so pleased with him. And I just want and desire so badly for that to be your experience. Because there's something that shifts when you sit in prayer for an hour and God gives you a picture and shows you your son whom you love. And you feel the weight of how you have not loved well. And God's sole focus in that was not to tell him he sucked as a parent in the moment. It was to say, I love you. Isn't that cool how God does that? He moves us because, yeah, 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 I know. We, okay, we know that you're not great at this. But what I really want you to know is that I'm madly in love with you. I want to affirm you. I want to tell you what I think about you. Well done. And you go, but I'm not, I haven't really done well. I'm not really Jesus. But Father looks and says, yeah, I know, but well done. And the things you've done well, right? And so I want to just, I want you, to, even as we dive in this morning, this word of affirmation and the confidence of God's love for you to allow him to begin to stir truth, to quiet your own voice of condemnation, the things that you know are not great about yourself. Because the greatest way to die to things we're not good at is to allow the truth of God's spirit to speak truth into us and to build us up from our brokenness. And so if you aren't good at taking time to slow down, to let him speak, just become awesome at it. Become more awesome at any sport you play, any class that you have, anything you're doing at work. If you're like, if there's one thing you aspire to, this you become awesome at slowing down to hear the voice of God so he can build you up in all the areas you tell your, tear yourself down. Because that will change you forever. All right. That was not in the first service. So as long as the rest of my message is okay today, Daniel will put that one onto the podcast. All right. Because that's from the Lord. Mm. Okay. God just really wants to speak. Let me pray over us this morning. Father, we ask these areas, Lord, I believe, even right now, God, you're trying, like, I just sense your spirit just beginning to speak because someone just slowed down for the first time in a really long time and you're not in a rush to move God so that you can speak into their being.
Lord, I pray right now, Lord, those who have lived under the weight of the guilt and condemnation of the enemy that's come and is really literally killing, stealing, and destroying, I'm asking in Jesus' name that you would speak powerfully. The voice of the living Lord God would speak now into hearts and break down and tear down walls and tear down and destroy lies in Jesus' name. And hearts would be opened, minds would be opened, ears would hear the Spirit of God in Jesus' name. Come, Lord. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, we pray now that you would come like a pent-up flood being driven by the breath of the Lord to tear down walls in Jesus' name. Come, Holy Spirit. Jesus, we submit ourselves to you. We resist the work of the enemy, Father. We receive you today in fullness in Jesus' name. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your love, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for your movement. We praise you, Father, for the way that you accept us in ways, Lord, that we can't even imagine. We thank you for the cross of Jesus. You literally went ahead and died a long time ago for the sins we just committed today, yesterday, and we will commit tomorrow, so, Lord, that you can look at us as pure and blameless as we come and repent before you and submit ourselves to you, Jesus. We thank you for your redemption. We praise you for the chains of darkness that you break in our lives. Holy Spirit, come and have your way. Come, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Continue. For those of you that that's your actual message from the Lord this morning, then nothing else really matters. You dive into that this week, okay? The idea of affirmation, I want to talk about it in the context of family resolutions this morning. The resolutions, we said, hey, these things that are Christ-centered that we do, not on behalf of what's best for me, but what's best on behalf of my spouse or my children or the primary relationships that I'm in, right? Paul said, I resolve to know nothing among you except Christ crucified so that your faith would not rest in my words but the power of Jesus. He said, listen, I'm resolving to know what's best but not for me, for you, because I want your life to thrive. I want your life to move forward. I want your life to be great. So the context of family resolutions, we're saying we're here not for ourselves, but we're here for those we're in relationship with. And the context of the marriage, it means you're here today to figure out what God wants to put his finger on in you to make your spouse thrive or to make your children youth over here to make listen to make your parents thrive or to make your your sister or your or your or your brother thrive or the primary relationship that you're in what are you doing that's christ-centered to cause primary relationships that you're in to thrive that's the theme so listen i'm not talking to you about marriage I'm talking to you about priority, primary relationships that you are in every day, okay? 
So if you're like, I'm going to check out because this is boring, it's about marriages. I'm not talking about that for you, okay? So in the context of this, all of us, we all love affirmation. We all love when people pull out intentionally these positive, life-giving things about us, and they take the time and the energy to make sure that we know them. Like, I literally, I have two folders. I have a vintage folder here, and I have a home folder from years past of letters and notes that people have given me, emails they send me that I print out and I put them into this affirmation folder because I don't know about you, but I have days where I need them, right? I mean, literally every now and then I'm like, oh, there's the affirmation pile. Someone telling me I'm not terrible, right? Because I feel that every day. I feel like I'm failing. I feel these pieces. I'm like, Jesus, Thank you for affirmation. Thank you for those who've taken time out of their day to intentionally find ways to affirm the calling and, and the giftings in my life and to tell me they actually like me and love me and aren't frustrated and hate me. Thank you, God. Because we all love affirmation. If I were to ask you today, would you, let's put our room in half. Let's have those who love to be affirmed over here and those who love being criticized, let's go over here, right? Like no one except an idiot's going to stay over here. You're all going to come over to this side over here because we, listen, we have been designed by God for affirmation because criticism And negativity was never part of God's intended plan in the garden. His plan was for us to live these positive lives, expressing affirmation in the context of relationship, him to us and us to one another. And so it's foreign to us. Criticism, therefore, is foreign because it wasn't what we were designed for. We don't respond positively to negative criticism. We've been designed for affirmation. I never forget the time. This is just a few years ago where I think my dad and I were literally on the way to go fish somewhere. So we were in the truck together and I, I think I was driving and he was riding and, and we were talking about something going on and something that God was doing. And he just, and he looked at me. He just looked at me and he said, Steve, I just need to tell you something. And I'm like, yeah, dad. He's man, I'm so proud of you. And, and even more than that, I just God, I respect who you are as a man. <laughs> I mean, I laugh because I won't cry. I'm like, oh, okay, Dad. <laughs> you know, I'm like, what do I do with that right now? So I'm going to fall to the car. i turn and pull over and just start dabbing my eyes. I mean, it's like there's something powerful when someone of priority, someone of influence in my life literally speaks words of affirmation, words of confirmation. And in the context now of our lives, say Jesus is the priority affirmation. We need to be primarily listening to his voice. But listen, what about the context of our secondary priority relationships? Like whether it's with our spouse or, or with our children or with our parents or with our friends or with our teachers, whatever it may be, right? It's like, what does it look like then in the context of our lives? of having an outgrowth of intentionality where we are so positive in our, infl- in our outlook on life that affirmation flows as we choose to give it every day and not negativity leading to criticism. The unfortunate reality is that most of us don't live with intentional chosen positivity. And all I mean by that is this positive Christ-centered outlook on life where we recognize the good, but we also recognize the bad, right? 
We don't live with this chosen positivity defining our lives and our relationships. Instead, we're defined by negativity and the most common theme of our thoughts, the most this inner voice that we have, the statements that we make to others. It's critical in nature. Positivity with affirmation is a decision that we make to intentionally choose to affirm in the context of our lives for negativity and criticism. Man, it is far easier to fall into. I'll never forget my mom. I mean, my mom, my, you know, my mom died when I was 23, so in my mind she was perfect, right? That's how my memory of her is. And so she was perfect. And this day, I was like seven or eight years old, and I was playing soccer. And I, listen, I was not good at soccer, right? The coach would go, oh, is anybody, oh, Steve. Yeah, why don't you go in? I'm like, yeah. He's like, uh, it's terrible, right? But I go in, so I was playing this game, and I'm watching my mom, and she's standing next to this lady who's sitting in a chair, and, 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 and like, it's just jabbering away, right? Because you always want to have your, make sure your parents are watching and you're playing sports, right? So I'm like running around, looking over here, I'm like doing this, you know, right? And, and so I'm running around, and I'm looking at my parents, see if they can look at me, and my mom's like talking to this lady, and she's kind of just doing this the entire time, I'm like, uh huh, mm, uh huh, mm. Uh-huh. Right. I'm just watching. I'm like, what's going on? So we get to the end. I'm like, hey, mom, who's that lady? She goes, I don't know, but she needs to move back to New York. I was like, what? And she said, literally for the entire game, both halves, she's just sitting here talking about how she hates Georgia and how she hates humidity and what are gnats and how she hates mosquitoes. Like all this stuff is going on and on and on and on about hatred and like this venom and, and all this negativity is like flowing out of her, right? And then, then she just goes, she needs to move back to New York. And I'm just like, that's really funny come from my mom. Because it takes a lot of, listen, it takes a lot of negativity for my mom to get to that place. But, but do you have people like that in your life? Like we call them negative Nancys. You have to prepare yourself mentally before you call them. Because you know what's about to flow. Like you can name them. I wonder if somebody's naming you. I'm just kidding, right? No, there's a whole dynamic going down. It's like, man, there's negativity that's flowing from us. And so this morning, what I want you to do is I want you to take a moment. And so rather than applying this just to that person you named, I want you to be honest with yourself. You know, one of the, one of the great dangers of Bible study is that you can read the Bible for the Bible's sake and the history and the knowledge's sake and never actually apply it to your life. And so I want you to apply it. Right now, when she asks a question, if you want to close your eyes, you can. Don't squeeze your partner's hand in this question. That would be bad. I want you to think about your internal conversations this week, and I want you to think about your external conversations this week. Like, they're two different things, right? I want you to think about your internal conversations. I want you to think about your external conversations. And I want to think about the things that you have stated I want you to think about the conversations that you've had with other people. Think about the statements you made about your spouse or your parents, your children, your job, your work, your school, your teachers, your friends, whatever it may be. I want you to think about it. How much of what you thought about and said was positive and affirming? How much of what you said and thought about was positive and affirming as a natural overflow? How many of you... If you look at your life, would say, in all honesty, man, how much of it was negative, expressing itself critical with criticism in the context of your life? And I want you to recognize it may not just have been critical, like what you're saying about that person, but what's coming out of your mouth to somebody else 
was just critical in nature like our good friend from New York. Because I would say this, in relationships that you have that are primarily expressing, where we're expressing, and they're expressing something that is negative and critical in nature, that relationship is in the process of dying. Because we are not designed naturally, Genesis 1 and Genesis chapter 2, to live in a place of negativity and criticism because that's not how God designed us. It's why we all want to leave this side of the room to come over here. Because we were designed to affirm God is an affirming God. Yes, he convicts of sin, but even in conviction, he affirms. So here's the thing I want to start with. It is your attitude positive or negative, that will determine whether you and your spouse or your primary relationships, whether you and your spouse have an ongoing healthy marriage. It's your attitude, your response, your reaction, how you handle things in the context of your relationships. Positives and This is important. Positivity is a discipline we must choose because negativity will come most naturally. We are naturally going to fall into criticism. We have to choose to climb the mountain of positivity and affirmation. It's easier for you to affirm or is it easier for you to criticize? Most of us, it's easier to criticize. In our lives, we must begin to root out negativity and plant a tree of positivity so affirmation can flow from us. The analogy of the tree is simply Jesus' words in Luke chapter 6. I want you to see this. Because your life is a tree. Your life is like a tree. It says this. For no, this is uh, chapter 6, verse 43. It's on the screen. For no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruits. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his or her heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his or her heart, evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his or her mouth speaks. So the idea is simple. Good, good fruit comes from a good tree which has good, healthy roots. Bad trees produce bad fruit because of the negative, bad roots that they have. And so what we find in a person is, how do we know where a person's heart is in the context of positivity with affirmation or negativity and criticism? Well, it's from their words. It's from the words that come forth from their heart. That's what he's getting at. In the context of the verse, he's specifically talking about false teachers. He's saying false teachers, man, bad's going to come from them, and good teachers, good's going to flow from them. But the transferable concept to all of life, says out of the abundance of the heart, what's going on in your heart, what's going on in the context of your positive heart, then affirmation flows or your negative heart, and criticism will flow. And he's saying, man, check your words. What's your internal thoughts? What is your verbal thoughts? What are you processing? What's being spoken? If negativity and criticism flow from our mouth, it's because negativity has taken root in our heart. In life, again, we were created for this positive expression of affirmation. That's how God designed us, right? Negativity and criticism was part of the fall. We want to be healthy. We want to enjoy positivity. 
However, circumstances of life all the time, they attack that place of emotional equilibrium. You would live in this place of positivity, right, of affirmation, but then what happens? Life. We all experience it. Things happen to us, and one day our shield begins to crack, and little things that didn't used to annoy us begin to annoy us. And then it begins to grow. We can look at the context of your life, of your marriage. Remember when you got married? And you just like, you just loved your spouse. And that was the best marriage ever. He just loves me and he pursues me. And she's so pretty. And she gets where every guy goes first. And she's just awesome, right? And then all of a sudden, like, you're like one hour into your honeymoon and something happens that annoys you. But your barrier's still strong. Because your honeymoon, oh, that won't happen again until he does it just like an hour later. And you're like, oh my gosh, what's going on here, right? And you're like, oh, and you're kind of freaking out, having a tension moment. Like, oh, it's like, what, what did I get myself into? Why? Because this cracks, doesn't it? Every marriage, everyone thinks, man, my marriage was awesome when I first got married. It's terrible today. I think my spouse is the Antichrist, right? Whatever it may be. I mean, get in that context. You think about it with your parents. It's like, Oh, my parents, they're idiots, and I hate them because they hate me, right? It's like, just let me move out and get on my own. It's just, we have this whole dynamic, right, that we have this desire. It doesn't happen, right, because our trees are producing negativity. They are producing fruit in keeping with what's inside of us. We have to be aware. We have to connect with what's going on, the context of our lives in this we have our expectations. They don't get met. We get frustrated. We disconnect. We have this moment where we share honestly, and then someone shuts us down and we stop being honest. Our negative experiences produce negativity in our hearts. So in the context of our lives and things negatively happening, the question is, how do we cultivate positivity and how do we then attack Negativity. This is on the screen. How do we cultivate positivity? How do we attack negativity? It begins by taking responsibility for our own feelings. By taking responsibility for our own responses. Let me tell you something that's just a truth in our life. No one, literally no one, can make you do anything. We are all, we always choose our actions. We always choose our responses and situations, right? So, so who's a Georgia Tech fan in here? Like really passionate. Tim Parker, where are you? Tim Hacks, put your hand down, right? Okay. Tim Parker. Tim Parker went to Georgia Tech and he played football there for a couple of years. So he blew his knee out, right? Big time athlete, pretty amazing, right? Tim loves Georgia Tech. He goes to games. I don't know why, right? He goes to games. And, and, and if I told Tim today, like, listen, I'm going to make you a Georgia fan. He'd go, you can't, <laughs> right? Like, whatever. No, no, I'm going to make you. I could say, man, I will give you $5 million. I'm going to make you a Georgia fan. He goes, I'll take you $5 million. I'll wear a Georgia shirt, but I'm still a Tech fan, right? It's like, I can't make Tim do anything. He's going to have to choose to become a Georgia fan. I can't make him do anything. We are never made to do anything. Every action we have is chosen by us. Even this lie. 
The devil made me do it. The enemy of Satan can't make you do anything. He can tempt you. He can taunt you. He can yell at you. But you don't have to do what he says. And the idea in the context of our marriages then is this. Your spouse can't, listen, your spouse can't make you angry. They can push buttons, they can do stuff, but they can't make you do anything. Every one of your actions and responses is your willful decision. Your spouse can't make you unhappy. You, in the context of your life, you choose to be unhappy. You can't be made happy. You have to choose happiness in the context of all of your relationships. Well, so-and-so is just being so mean, right? And I hate them. They didn't make you hate them. You're choosing to hate them. Every single one of these moments, right? We always choose our actions. The result, everyone then is personally responsible for his or her own responses and her own, his or her own personal attitudes. Yes, it's obviously harder to be positive when someone is always negative, when situations occur that are overwhelming. I completely understand that. I've experienced that every day of my life in the context of everything that's gone on around me. I understand it's hard to be positive when things around me are negative. But the idea is you can. You can. Viktor Frankl, so you've heard of him, lived during World War II. Before and after, he's a Jewish Austrian neurologist and psychiatrist leading up to World War II. And in the process, he and his whole family got put into a concentration camp. And, and in the moment, right, he comes in and he's before his captors. He's being brutally questioned and abused. They've, they've already taken his wife. They've taken his children, his writing, his clothes, his wedding band. Everything of material value in his life, he has had taken from him. But in the midst of this brutality of questioning and cross-examination, an idea flashed before his mind. He said this, they, he's on the screen, they have taken from me everything I have except the power to choose my own attitude. Like, let that sink in. He's like, in the moment, literally naked before them, being brutalized, he said, man, they've taken everything, but... They can't make me break. They can't make me be overwhelmed. I literally choose my attitude and even the difficulty of the moment. All of us know somebody just like this. I don't know if you've ever heard of his name's Jesus. In the midst of his own brutality of being beaten, put on a cross, there are three dynamic responses that I see where he is literally in the moment of brutality saying, I can't have, I, I may be broken in all of these things, but you cannot change. You cannot affect. I choose my response. I choose my attitude. I, res- I choose how I respond in the moment, right? He's literally, there are three crosses hanging. There's a guy next to him who ridicules him and mocks another guy over here, corrects him and says, please don't forget me. And Jesus in the moment, and utter selfishness says, shut up, man. Look what's going on in my life. Is that what he does? Choosing negativity, choosing... No, this is, hey, man, you'll be with me today in paradise. He chooses an attitude of compassion for a one who is suffering alongside of him. 
And then he looks down and sees the guards who have been like literally beating him, mocking him, taking all of his material possessions and ripping them apart, right? And he looks at them, looks at the Father, looks back at them and says, God, judge them and send them to hell, right? Because that's the selfish response. No, he says, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing and who I am. In the moment, right, of brokenness, mocking him, he chooses an action of loving them. He climbs the mountain of positivity, of affirmation, affirming his desire to see them forgiven. What about this one, of being a good son? He looks out and he sees his mother who is heartbroken, and John's just standing beside his mom. And Jesus looks out and says, John, here is your mom, and woman, here is now your son. He's not thinking about himself. He's not being selfish in his response. He doesn't have this lens of negativity, right, and of of self-hatred or self-frustration or of anger. He's, man, I I love my mom. And now, John, I need you to take care of her because I'm gone. In the midst of brutality, a chosen response, his attitude before him. We choose our attitude. No one can make us do anything. No one can make us be negative. No one can make us criticize. We choose that on our own. Steve, all these things have happened to me. Yes, they happen to every single human being. What makes you special in the things that happen to you? Honestly, isn't that the nature of like making self the center of our own lives and making our situation bigger and harder and everybody else's and thinking we're in a boat all by ourselves and no one else is like us. Everybody has stuff. Everybody has things. Timothy says all the time, I love it, he goes, the hardest thing a person's been through is the hardest thing they've been through. Something along those lines, right? I forget. What, is that it? Something, you ever said that before? You ever saying? Thank you. You're right. So the idea, the hardest thing I've ever been through, it's the hardest thing I've ever been through. It can't be compared to everybody else's. It feels that weighty, that hard, that big, that massive to me. And in that moment, do I just close up or do I, and this negativity and spiral through my experiences? Can't do that. A few thoughts to consider. Number one, I know this is on the screen, but, but by God's grace, you need to hear this. By God's grace, control resides within us. And not in the external events when it comes to our circumstances. By God's grace, his, listen, his spirit resides in us. And the spirit just cannot choose negativity because it's literally he can't do. He chooses positivity, which means he can then empower us to choose the thing that he's calling us to choose as we live a life of affirmation. If he's in us, then he's empowering us and empower us to a life of positivity and affirmation irregardless of our circumstances around us. So a few thoughts to consider. Number one, positivity is birthed out of God's lordship. Positivity, our choosing of that climbing that mountain, is birthed out of God's lordship. Romans 8, 28, you've all quoted a jillion times in your life, right? And we, excuse me, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. 
The context of this verse, verse 18, there's present sufferings. It goes on to say, creation was subjected to frustration and is groaning as in the pains of childbirth. It's a difficult thing, right? Because of the fall of man, entrance of sin into the world. Verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our exposed and known weakness. And the Spirit himself intercedes for us. Why? Because it's overwhelming. Life is hard. It's difficult. Romans 8. And then we go in and quote, for we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. What are you saying? I'm saying this is speaking to positivity and affirmation. Why? Because it's saying in the midst of hell, God can take it in his lordship and turn it for his good in his timing. That's where we struggle most with his timing, right? But he can work all things for his good in time. And so I look at it and go, man. Positivity isn't just about, let's be positive. No, positivity is a lifestyle of recognizing that everything that is going on is under the lordship of Jesus, and he's going to shape all of these things and move them into his good, even though it seems like hell right now. Positivity is birthed out of God's lordship. Second thing, positivity is not based on circumstances. I've already named that. Most people with a negative bent in life, internally and externally towards life, feel they could be positive if their circumstances were better. They say things like, if I had a better job, if I had more money, if I had a bigger house, had a different spouse, etc., right? whatever it may be, different parents, different teachers, different classes, different friends, whatever it may be. But happiness and positivity do not hinge on circumstances. Because I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. I've been around people where I look at what they're doing and everything's great. And what do they find? The, they find the one thing to talk about and it's always negative. Man, yeah, this, this car is great, but man, it's got this thing going on over here and I don't know. And they focus on that one thing. They go to vacation. It's like, yeah, I mean, it was, it was the perfect, great view that are the, but man, my bed was so lumpy. I couldn't sleep. And every night I wake up and they would spend 35 minutes talking about that negative thing, right? Those who have negative flowing from them will find even in anything positive, the thing that's going negative. Circumstances do not define it. We fall into it, but we have to learn that positivity is a choice that we control our response, our reaction, even as difficult as it may be, we are responsible for. So a person in a marriage we know that we're off center in this. When the only thing that we can focus on for our spouse is the things that we don't like, that frustrate us, and that overwhelm us. We have to recognize in the context of this that there are positives, and we have to learn to find them, which is number three. Positivity sees the good, and it sees the bad. Like a a person with positivity, they're, they're honest. They don't just go, okay, positive, everything's great, it's going to be fine. They don't do that, right? Like, nothing's really bad in my life at all. No, they're, they're honest, but they're able to find the hope in the moment, right? They can see beauty for the ashes that lie around them. In essence, they can be honest with the circumstances and recognize they aren't preferable, they may be even difficult, even bad. However, they're able to find the hope in the darkest places, 
Many times when people with negative lenses say, well, I'm just being realistic or I'm just being honest. But honesty is always that God is Lord. There's always something positive and there's always something we can find of hope in any moment, whatever it is. Always. Always. In the context of marriage, what do you primarily see? If you can't see positive traits of your spouse, if they don't trump or at least be equal, then you have a negative tree birthed in your heart that's flowing out. There are beautiful, positive traits about your spouse that God sees every day. You know why he created them. God created your spouse. They created your parents. They created your friends. They created your teachers. They created your coaches. They created your bosses. I'm telling you. In the context of those relationships, if all we see is the negative, then we've actually missed the things that God primarily sees about them every day. He designed them. He created them. We cannot miss these areas that God is so aware of and defines his view of them. We cannot find primary room for criticism, little room for celebration and affirmation. The fourth thing is positivity places things in their best light. Positivity doesn't see the best in a person. Spouses aren't perfect. I've already told you not the Antichrist. You've got to win right there. When Jesus looks at you, my question for you, when Jesus looks at you, does he only see the negative things that frustrates your spouse? Or does he see all the positives that define how he created you? Like when he looks at you, does he see your sin? Or if we've given our lives to him, does he see his blood covering us, the cross standing behind us? Does he see us as redeemed and chosen by him? Does he then see us as Banton, Graham, son, Turning around like, oh, my gosh, I just want to microwave my love into you. Such a great phrase, right? Ha. Ah. Jesus lives every day be able to see us in the best light. We must allow our spouses to be human, to struggle in the same way that we struggle, not putting unhealthy, unrealistic expectations on them, but to see them as Christ sees them on a path of growing into Christ-likeness. Our criticism will hinder them, and our affirmation will encourage them as we express love for them. In the context of your primary relationships, whatever they are, whatever you define them to be this morning, let's land here. Positivity, the tree of positivity, it produces affirmation, and it builds Negativity produces criticism, and it tears down. What type of tree are you? What type of tree are you going to be? Let me say all that again. Love and positivity produces affirmation. Negativity produces criticism. What type of tree are you, and what type of tree are you going to be? 
These action steps are on the screen. Take a picture of it. Just embrace them. Just remember them. Whatever it wants to be. I'm going to go through them real quick. Number one, practice the discipline of self-awareness. We talk about in EHS. This is not where you go and try to figure out your stuff. It's where you say, Jesus, you literally every day, like David said, search me and know me, O God. Know every way in me. It's like a self-awareness. God, make me aware of the areas where negativity has planted its roots deep inside of me and criticism is flowing, right? God, make me aware so I can just discipline this. Discipline of self-awareness every day, God. Make me highlight the negativity, right? Where is this root being planted into my life? God, make me aware. Let, Let him put his finger on these areas of your life. Don't focus on your spouse's areas where they need to fix themselves. Start with you, right? Number two, ask God every day for grace to choose positivity, which leads to affirmation. We can't do it. We need his help. We need his power, right? We need him to move inside of us. We need to submit ourselves every day to his grace and say, God, I can't be positive today. I feel myself being drawn towards negativity. God, help me. And the Holy Spirit says, thank you. Here I come. Grace flows. Holy Spirit flows in power. Number three, take responsibility for your feelings, your reactions. Recognize and never forget Victor Frankl. Never forget that Jesus guy on the cross, right? No one can control you or make you do anything. It's up to you how you react and how you respond in the moment. Is it in honesty difficult and more difficult when people are negative? Absolutely. That's why we cry out for grace. It's why we cry out to Jesus to help. God, help me today because I feel myself being drawn to the dark side, right? God, help me. Number four, discipline yourself to choose affirmation every day. I mean, what if you literally wake up and you say, today I'm going to affirm my wife in three different ways. I'm not just going to go physical every time. Guys, don't do that. Oh, my gosh, I love her butt, and I love her nose, I love her eyes. No, no. I mean, like, get the full being of the person, right? Women, talk about the, the talk about God physically. They love being so, hey, my gosh, your face is so good looking. Hey, babe, thanks, right? No, I mean, seriously, like, pick the holistic reality of a person and affirm them. Mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, affirm them in front of other people. And there's nothing more powerful than Randall in front of a group of people talking about how awesome I am. Thank you, man. Like, I just felt that, right? Timothy never says anything he doesn't mean, by the way, because you don't know him, okay? True story. <laughs> now, in the context of our lives... Discipline yourselves. Ask God for grace. Ask God for the power to ask God to help you with the decision, the circumstances you're making and all the responses. Be honest with him like this discipline of self-awareness, highlighting your brokenness. And then recognize the path that you're on. If you can't all see this, this is this beautiful painting of this path that Laura has created. Right. It's going through. And and the idea is this. You can't really tell which direction that we're going. Like we're going this direction. But what direction is that? Like, is it towards positivity? Is it towards affirmation? Is it towards this life of climbing up here? 
Or is this path going still towards this negativity, towards whatever I've been going towards of criticism over here? And, and, and I believe God's saying in the moment, like, that's the nature of where we are in the context of repentance. Simply meaning, let's be aware of where we are and let's choose Jesus. Let's choose the path. Let's choose the direction and say, and, and, and choose, say, Jesus, I repent as I begin to turn and the spirit comes and flows to empower us in the journey that we're walking on. That's the nature of repentance. He says, I'm going to I'm going to move in you and, re- and you need to repent. And so we we own that in turn as we begin to turn. He then empowers our turning and he enta- empowers our walk down this path towards positivity and affirmation. Why? Because if we don't, our relationships are already dying. And we weren't designed for that. Do you know we weren't designed for broken relationships? They're not inevitable to Jesus. Well, I mean, every relationship just leads to brokenness. Well, not if you live a life of affirmation, affirming people and loving people in the midst of the hell that you're going through and affirming those you're in relationship with and loving well. And you say, well, Steve, what if I do my part? And my spouse or my parents or my friends don't do theirs. That's great. That's what Jesus says. It's your job to love and it's his job to convict of sin and of righteousness. If you do your part and you're obedient, then God will affirm and fill and bless and move mightily in you. And I'm just telling you, when people get around people like you that you're going to become, they want to be like you. And your spouse will shift. It may take 20 years. But what a story. Have you loving and affirming, getting nothing in response, but being obedient to Jesus in living your real life, which is to actually affirm and to live positive in the context of how we view people in the midst of difficulties, saying it is hard. I mean, guys, I listened to my mom 21 years of my life. She was sick and in pain. And I would call home, Mom, how's it going? Oh, it's great. Having a hard day? It's hard. But God is present, Stephen. And I don't know. It's enough for me. That happened a hundred times. Choosing Jesus. Choosing to be empowered by his spirit and affirmation. You know what people told me when she died? They would come up to me and say, I was going to abort my baby. And I called your mom. And she spoke life. And here she is, my daughter. Duh! She didn't live focused on self. People come to me and say, my gosh, I had no idea your mom was sick. Yeah, she lives 21 years of her life. She comes to these meetings, and all she does is love on people and just encourage us and tell us how awesome we were. I said, yeah, she could barely walk. She was a lot better at loving Jesus and being a Christian than I feel. And I'm thankful for her. It's an aspiration to move towards the reality is I can. Why? Because the grace of Jesus is inside of me, empowering me. Positivity and affirmation, birthed out of the lordship of Jesus. We're on a path. Which one are we on? God disciplines self-awareness. Where are we? 
And do you want your marriage to thrive? Because it's not inevitable that all relationships die. It's not what we were created for. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your life. I'm very thankful for your death. But to be honest, I'm most thankful for your resurrection. God, it is the champion moment of the gospel. And then I thank you for the completion of the good news, which says I'm sending my spirit now to empower you to live as Christ lived. And Jesus, we come and say, as you know, marriages are really hard. Primary relationships and relationships in general are really hard. Our parents do stupid things. Our friends do stupid things. We do stupid things. Our spouses do stupid things. And God, we feel drawn towards criticism. We, we feel drawn down this negative path, God, this tree, God, of through experience of negativity. But Lord, you say, man, all, I work all things. For the good of those who love me are called according to my purposes. Father, we lean into your lordship this morning. And I pray, God, for each person, God, wrestling in the context of their marriage, wrestling in the context of this tree of negativity birthed out of the experiences of their life. We're asking, God, for those who feel like it's just too far past, too far gone, Lord, there's not a chance. Lord, I pray that you would, rec- that you would, <laughs> that you would show them that you are the God of resurrection. No matter what's going on in their life, God, you can resurrect hope. You can resurrect life inside of us. You can resurrect positivity and affirmation and love, Lord. We ask for your help. God, I want to pray this very specifically. I pray that you would convict each person in their priority relationship to own their crap. And not just tell someone they have to own theirs. Would you put your finger on them this morning? Turn their eyes to themselves. And God, I pray the first voice they would hear is affirmation. I love you. That you would then bring conviction and tell them what to change. Because at the end, you're always going to tell us how much you love us. So, Father, awaken us. We pray this in Jesus' name. For the sake of time this morning, we're officially done for our service. And so if you need to go, you can do that. But we're going to have a time of worship and a time of response. We have ministry teams on both sides over here. We'd love to just pray about anything, whether it's your marriage or your relationships, whatever it may be in life, we're going to pray for you. If you came this morning ready to give, this is our offering basket here, an offering little box back there, and then an iPad giving kiosk outside that you can give there in the context of worship. It's worship. That's why we do it. And the third thing right here is communion. Celebration of the good news of Jesus. The work of the Spirit of God in His life, now the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That we can not just, we can as Galatians 5 says, we can walk in the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. As we celebrate in communion the work of God through the death and resurrection and sending of the Spirit. Some of you this week need to be really honest with yourself. That you have some direction and changes to make. Just make sure you do that. You do it with Jesus and ask him to help you. All right. You guys have a great week. I love you. We 
we'll see you next week.